Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Well, good morning, you guys. Um, Hey, if you, if you don't know me, my name's Chris uh, Matley. My wife and I are the campus pastors here. And, um, and if you don't know this about Amy, I want to tell you this. She has a great sense of direction. She has a really good sense of direction. She's, um, she's, she has a great memory for places that we've been and roads and locations. And she uh, almost always knows exactly where she is and where she's going. Um, and she's also a great driver. I think this is part of what makes her a great driver, but not all of it. She's also just very patient, and she has the ability to concentrate for long periods of time on one thing. That's really good. It's a good thing when you're a driver, and, and she's really good at long road trips, and she's great about not being distracted by things in the car, and she's good about not reacting to like bad drivers. These are all really good things. I am none of those things at all like I I um, one time this so you know early when you get married um, early on you, you figure stuff out and some things you just assume like you look at social norms like oftentimes husbands drive and wives sit in the passenger seat that's just what I grew up with that's what I saw so I assumed that's the way it needed to be and uh, we figured out differently somewhere along the way um, this one time before we had kids we drove we were driving up to Oregon uh, to visit some family and they live in central Oregon. If you know Oregon, there's like two parts of Oregon. There's the middle and there's the west part. I don't think there's anything in the east. I don't think anyone's ever been there, but it's just, there's the middle section and then there's the, the, the western part up against the ocean. And when you get to Weed, California, you have an option. You can go to the middle part or you can go to the other part. And there was a blizzard and I was pretty distracted and I went left. For like three hours I went left, like, like three hours. And then I saw the name of a town that I recognized, and I recognize it as being a town that's like very far, like on the left side of Oregon, and that's not where we were supposed to be. And so I, you know, we stopped at a gas station, and it's a blizzard, like it's snow and it's blowing. And I got, and I asked an old guy, like, "Hey, I'm actually trying to go to like the other part," and he's like, "You can't get there from here. That's not what you want to hear, right? I mean, you know, we just, it's like we." We figured things out as we started having kids. Like things change. I I I began to realize like Amy's got a good sense of direction. Did you know that Einstein, Albert Einstein, he got divorced. Did you know that? Like one of the most intelligent human beings of the last 200 years, and he couldn't figure out marriage. Is what I'm saying. Like when when you get married, people ask you questions like, Do you love her? Is she the one for you? They should ask you, Do you think you're smarter than Einstein? That's what that's what they should ask. I'm just saying. There's she, she has a great sense of direction. And what we figured out was that it makes more sense for her to drive. That's, so if you see us driving around, oftentimes I'm in the passenger seat reading a book, which is good, and she's driving. That's, that's usually how it works for us. And I was thinking about that because I was reading this passage that we're in today, and I was thinking about how God, what, what Jesus is doing in these passages that we've been reading. Oh, by the way, if you haven't been with us, we're reading through the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're at. And we're kind of winding up our time together. We have just a couple more weeks, and we're finishing this up. We're in chapter 7. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving these 
incredible directions. Today in particular, he's giving these, these incredible, these really good directions. Do you like really good directions? You know, now we all carry around like the best directions we, we can get, like in our phones all the time. But there was a point where like you had, I had to write stuff down before heading out on a road trip. And it, it was really good to marry someone that has a good sense of direction. So this is Jesus giving us really good directions. If, you're, if you have your Bibles and you want to read along with us, we're in um, Matthew chapter 7. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 14. This is where we're at today. All right, so you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll also have it up on the screen. So I'm just going uh, to read this, and then we're going to talk about it. That's what we're going to do. All right, so this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, and it starts like this. It says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. He says, Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's good. It's good stuff, huh? It's good. So, what's Jesus saying? Does this mean that we get everything that we ask for? Has that been your experience, that everything you've ever asked God for, you've, you receive? So, what is, what is Jesus saying here? Obviously, when you, when you hear that, and then you know this, it, it's an indication this is more complicated than it looks like at face value, Right? As you, you know, as you read scripture and you grow closer to God and your faith matures, what you begin to see is that there's a larger story that arises from the books of the Bible. There's this story. And what you find is that the story is about salvation. That's the story. There's 66 books in the Bible and they're all telling the same story. It's the same story. They build this picture and it's about salvation. But salvation itself, what you come to realize what you, as you, your faith matures is that it's not about what we are being saved from, but it's about whom we are being saved for. He's saving us for himself. So where, whatever you started out seeking in the beginning, whatever you started out seeking, if you keep going, what you end up finding is him. And, and the scripture becomes true. You start out seeking, and maybe you're seeking uh, a whole range of things, but as you, as you grow closer to Jesus, your seeking begins to mature, and you begin to seek him, and it, and it becomes true that, that when you seek, you find. You know, <clears throat> when we start out, we're, you know, human beings, when we, 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 we start off, we, we start off pretty simple. Um, I remember uh, we, got all the, we got all the halls decked here with the Christmas decor, and I remember um, we, we make Christmas lists in our family. I don't know how you do it in, our, in yours, but in our family, we make little Christmas lists. The kids make their little lists each year. And I remember when Andrew was really little, we sat down with him and we were like, hey, let's make a list of things that you want for Christmas. And he wrote, his list was two items, two things. You remember what they were? Two things. He said, I want a cookie and I want a picture of my older sister, Katie. That's, pr that's pretty sweet, yeah, it's pretty cute. His lists are a little longer now and a little more complicated. But you know, we start off, we start off pretty simple. Um, but in, in the end, in a way, we do end up getting everything that we ask for. It's just that what we ask for ends up changing along the way, right? It changes. All right, let's keep going. Jesus says, he says this, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, now, by the way, this is Jesus being 
he's not really saying you're evil. He's, this is him being humorous. He's, he said, if you then, it, as, as wicked and, and, uh, and imperfect as you are, uh, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God loves to bless his children. He loves it. He loves it. And, you know, as we enter the world, we, our, our impression of God is often formed early on by our, our impression of our earthly father. It, our, our father's imprint on us certain characteristics. And as we grow older, we have to decide, are those, are those the characteristics of God or are those just the characteristics of the human that raised me? Or in some cases, maybe didn't raise us, right? But what we learn as we grow closer to our Heavenly Father is that, that whatever our earthly father was like, our Heavenly Father, he loves to bless his children. He loves to bless his children. But the greatest possible blessing he gives is to transform us to, to become more like him. Now, this next line from Jesus is not, it's not some random disconnected thought. Uh, but it's, a, it's actually a continuation of what he just said and what it looks like to be blessed by God. Listen to what he says. He says, he says so in everything. So when, you, when, Je- when Jesus says so, he's saying what I'm about to say is in light of what I just said, right? So, I lo- so your heavenly Father loves to bless you. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus says this a couple times. When he says, this sums up the law and the prophets, what he means is, this simple truth fulfills the whole story of Scripture. That's what he means by that. This simple truth. Do to others what you would have them do to you. When you reflect on the good things that your Father wants to bless you with, do to others what you would have them do to you. What Jesus is doing here is he's... and. And we, we don't have the cultural context to fully understand the gravity of what's happening here. But if we could go back 2,000 years, put ourselves in the shoes of the first century Jewish people who had lived under a series of uh, conditional covenants, what he's doing here is he's redefining the arrangement between God and his people as, as one of being real relationship. And what Jesus did is he came and he pulled down structures that existed in his day, he pulled them down and he replaced them with real, genuine, personal relationship. That's why today when Christians talk about, um, they talk about salvation, they say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that sounds weird to people that don't have that because they go, how can you have a personal relationship with a a dude that lived 2,000 years ago, right? But this is what Jesus is talking about. He's, He's making it possible. He's replacing a conditional uh, moral covenant with real relationship. You know, when God showed up and walked among people, that's Jesus, he did what no one before him could ever do. He lived a perfect life. Did you know that? He, he lived a perfect life. He did it all. He lived a perfect life. He, he completed a sinless life. In fact, on the cross, his, his last words, you might remember, were what? It is it's finished. I did it. I, li- I lived a perfect life. I did it, which made that moment possible. And he, and he fulfilled all of the morally conditional covenants that God had ever made with his people before. This, is what, this was the rhythm. If you read the Old Testament, this is the rhythm of it. God comes to a person or his people and he says, Hey, listen, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to build something with you. 
but I need you to do this. If you do this, then I'll do that. It's, it's conditional. And, and part of you doing this means I, I want you to behave in a certain way. I, I want you to treat people better. I, I want you to do a little bit better than you've been doing. By the way, this is how you parent small children. <laughs> the Old Testament is God the Father kneeling down and looking his children in the face and saying, listen, I, I need you to do just a little bit better. Here, here's how I want you to treat people. You've you got to speak with kindness. You've got to look out for people that are smaller than you. And if you do that, then here's what the reward will be. Here's what the arrangement will be. This, this is the Old Testament. This is the whole Old Testament. It's God the Father speaking to his, his people like children. And out, you know, from the outside of Christianity, sometimes looking in, people still think that we're living out this morally conditional covenant, right? You know, they would, have you heard people describe Christianity like this? If, well, if you're a good person, then you'll go to heaven, right? Because that's what it looks like from the outside. But that would actually be impossible to just be good enough to, to make it into God's presence when we die. That's what Jesus did. He lived a perfect life, but he's the only one that did it. He fulfilled all of those covenants. He lived a perfect life so we could partake in his life and his perfection. That's why at the, at the Last Supper, when we take communion, we did this last week, we, we, Jesus said, um, take, these, take these elements and remember that you are now a part of me. We actually live his perfect life through him. We, we receive that. He said, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. And you go, wow, wow, how do I do that? You do that by living in him, right? We abide in Jesus. And by doing this, what Jesus did is he created a new way, this covenant where the only condition, here's the only condition of the current covenant that we live under. Here's the condition. You ready? Here it is. You have to step forward. Just step forward. That's it. He's, he's saying, just, just come forward. Just come forward. There, there was a time in, in the Old Testament where, there, did you know there were these people, they were, they were called prophets, and they were often very poetic. They were kind of the artists of, of their day, right? And one of them was Jeremiah. He spoke and wrote in poetry, and he wrote this. He, they got glimpses of this future arrangement, this relationship. He said in Jeremiah 29, 13, he said, he said in, as an oracle of God to his people, he said, one day you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He said, one day there's gonna be an arrangement where all you do is just step forward. You just step forward. The really startling thing is not that we, um, that as Christians we know how to open this door that he's talking about, or that we know how to walk through it. It's the fact that there is a door at all. That's amazing. That's amazing, right? And Jesus makes it very clear, in case there was any question about it, he makes it very clear who the door is. It's him. He says in John chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find application. So you might think about this as we're contemplating this passage and say, where in your life do you need to ask, seek, and knock again? Is there a place maybe where if you are honest, if you, if you think about it, that maybe at some point you gave up, you threw in the towel. You were asking, you were seeking, you were knocking, but the waiting was hard. And so you threw in the towel. And Jesus is saying, 
it's time to start again. It's time to start again. Jesus isn't done. We're going to finish our, uh, this passage. He says in verse 13 through 14, he, he encapsulates everything he just says, and he says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Check this out. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Does anyone else find it just a, just a little bit, just the smallest bit offensive that Jesus defines his way as being a narrow road? Does anyone bristle against that just a little bit? Yeah, if you do, that is actually very normal. That's a normal reaction. Why is that normal? Because it's been in our nature as human beings to want to define reality for ourselves all the way back to the garden. That's what the first humans did. They, they reached for the fruit and they said, we want to define for ourselves reality. We, we want to decide what is good, what is bad. We don't want to be told. We want to decide for ourselves. And we've been doing it ever since. That's why it's natural when you hear this and Jesus says, no, no, the way is that I define what is good. And there's, there's a gate. And to, to walk through it, you have to step forward. And that's why we bristle against that. Oh, I, you know. Is it narrow-minded to believe that there might be some objectivity in the universe? Sometimes this kind of thinking is described as being narrow-minded. You might have heard that before. Um, but if, if so, if, if it's narrow-minded to believe that there's objectivity in the universe... I would, I would challenge you to uh, get in an airplane and go for a flight and jump out of it with, an, uh, with a parachute and ask yourself how narrow-minded would it be to pull that ripcord because objectively that's the only way you're going to survive the fall, right? There are objective realities in the universe. We know this from experience. We live them and we don't define them, right? This is, we live in a, in a historical and cultural moment where there's the, the philosophy that it prevails is it's kind of like that Oprah theology, right? It's all roads lead to God. All religions are basically the same. If you're just a good person, the universe will just find you. And you know, there's a God inside all of us. You know, we've heard all of this stuff, right? I actually think it's very well-meaning. People generally that, that I, I love Oprah. She's fantastic. I, I think she, you know, I think she's very well-meaning. She says stuff because she's sincere. She really believes this. But it goes back to the garden, this desire to define things for ourselves. And what we find is that when we find the truth, we actually find that it's very specific, and it's Jesus. I do want to say that finding the truth and being saved by it, though, does not make us the arbiters of that truth. We don't become saved and then commissioned to go into all the world and tell people how to live. That's not it. That's not the mission. What happens is we get saved by the truth, and then we get commissioned to go into the world and say, I, I found out something. Our ship is sinking, and I know where the lifeboats are. That's our commission. So what is Jesus trying to communicate here? He's, he's reminding his people how truly precious and special this relationship is, right? The most remarkable thing is not that the gate is narrow. It's that there is a gate at all. There is a way to God, and that way is Jesus. And it sounds, it sounds exclusive. It does. I know that. 
it sounds exclusive because it is. Jesus said in John chapter 4, he says this. He makes no qualms about it. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The door is not small because God is trying to keep people out. It's actually just the right size for you. And he's inviting you to walk through it. And he's inviting me to walk through it. And here's what happens. In fact, this is my only point for today, is that the way, the way of Jesus, it invites us in, but it always ends up flowing out of us too. Right? We, we're invited in, and when we take that step, what we find is in that way then becomes something that flows out of us like a river into the world, and it transforms the world around us. It's not static. It's a change agent. Christianity, by its nature, is an agent of change in the world. And all it takes, this, this, this new covenant, all it takes is us just taking a step forward. He's beckoning. He's saying, come towards me. And when we take that step forward, he begins to flow through us. So here's my question for us today. How can we allow the reality of God's generous accessibility to lead to a heart of gratitude? How can we allow that? He said, he said so, right? He said, so. In everything, do to others what you would have them do. Right? In light of what? In light of the reality that there is a gate that we all get to walk through. When you drive up to Oregon like, like we did earlier, um, you come back uh, through a little road um, near Doris, California. Have you ever driven through Doris, California? Tiny little town. It's very creepy. It looks like something out of... Uh, uh, the Twilight Zone, like two people live there. But the, the feature of Doris is not the town, it's just outside of Doris on your way back through, there's a station that you have to drive through. There's no other way. You drive through and there's a person that steps out when you, and you have to slow down and he goes, uh, do you have any fruit? <laughs> have you done this? Have you been, uh, have you come? It's, I, it makes me laugh every time. Hey, do you have any fruit? And every, do you have any fruit to declare? And every time we go, oh no, no fruit, no fruit. One of these times I just want to say, yeah, we got some mangoes. What are you going to do? Like, what's going to happen now? What, what happens next? It's a fruit inspection station. That's what these passages are. It, it, this is us dry. When we stop and we read and we contemplate and we, we think about the words of Jesus, it's a fruit inspection station. We're stopping in and we're, we're taking the, the fruit of our lives. In, in biblical vernacular, fruit means evidence. It means evidence. We take the evidence of our lives. How, how are we treating each other? Or do, we, do we treat each other the way that Jesus is talking about here? And we show our fruit. And Jesus says, there's, there's a better way. There's a way, and I'm calling you to it. And the road is narrow, but I just want you to set out on a journey, and we're going to go there together. Amen? Let's, let's lean into Jesus today. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find Hope. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers. 
and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831 800 Thanks again for tuning in.